Welcome back to the Eye on the Tigers podcast. I'm Dave Matter, St. Louis Post Dispatch, STLToday.com, Zoo Beat Writer. And we're reunited. We are joined, not in person, but close enough, with Ben Fredrickson, Post Dispatch columnist, uh, all things St. Louis sports. But we are going to focus, as always, here on this podcast on Mizzou football. And it is almost here. We are recording this on Wednesday. And the first football practice of 2022 preseason camp is Monday. We don't have the official full camp schedule yet. Uh, May have it by the time you get this. But we do know they will practice on Monday. And uh, we'll talk to Eli Drink what's after Monday's practice. Sunday, they're going to do some media availability for assistant coaches and returning players. Uh, so that'll be good. But so we will have, you know, starting this weekend, we'll have Mizzou football in the paper and at stltoday.com virtually every day until the end of the season. So, and, and a weekly podcast. We promise we will be back with weekly podcasts uh, talking all things Mizzou football. We're going to get Callum McAndrew, our campus correspondent. Uh, he's going to be on here uh, from time to time to talk about the Tigers. Really, really excited to work with him. We, we met yesterday and um, he's going to attack this thing and working with me and working with our columnists and working with everybody to, uh, to give you the best Mizzou coverage we've, we've ever given you. That's, that's the pledge. So Ben, how are you? What do you think about uh, this, this Mizzou football team? Thanks for the introduction, Dave. Good to be back with you. And uh, I think, you know, let's get, let's cut to the right right of the, the chase of this thing. The pressure is on Cal because we have had great Mizzou correspondents in the past. Um, some who are now working for our paper, some who have, gone on to, to massively awesome careers elsewhere. So that's the real pressure here. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm excited to work with him. Glad to have him on board and uh, have enjoyed his work for the various outlets that he's worked for covering Mizzou. So that's a good pickup for us. I'm excited about it. Uh, Mizzou football, man, it's it's uh, kind of a reminder, right, this offseason. Uh, it's really hard to know what to expect from a team. It's really hard to project the team and probably going to lead to relatively, um, you know, tame expectations for a team when you don't know who's going to play quarterback for that team. That, right. that seemed to be, I mean, we knew that, right? Going into SEC media days, you were there in Atlanta. I was I was watching from a distance, but quarterbacks drive the discussion, right? So I think you start right there, um, and we're going to, of course, explore that more. So I wasn't surprised to see, you know, pretty low expectations for this Tigers team from within the SEC media, you know, pick the finish sixth in the SEC East. I think a lot of that is going to depend on who emerges from this quarterback conversation. And if someone does and they get a, a solid production there, then all of a sudden maybe those projections start to look a little uh, pessimistic. We'll see. But I'm fascinated by that. And I really am fascinated by what we're going to learn about Eli Drinkwitz this year. Yeah. I, I don't think this is a, you know, a make or break season for Eli in any, in any shape or form. I do think it's a time to learn a lot about how he manages his players, how he manages the quarterback position, what this offense can be and, you know, what this team could do in terms of defying some expectations. So that's, that's what I'm looking at right away is can Mizzou exceed expectations, which seem to be pretty low nationally and can Drinkwitz prove that this exciting recruiting that he's got going on, can it be proven with maybe some success in, in, at positions not named quarterback? And how can he manage the quarterback situation to perhaps get a greater sum of his parts than he has in, in one single guy? So that's a lot to kind of kick off here. But, but those are the things that I'm thinking about Mizzou football right now is, 
as we get ready to start camp. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about this camp more than I have been in recent years. I'm not really sure why. I think it's it's, it's kind of been a quiet summer. There just hasn't been a lot. We've had the Dennis Gates experience and the roster rebuild there, but just as far as football goes, it has been kind of quiet. And I'm I'm just excited to to learn more about this team now. Part of it is just the unknown when, when you don't know a lot about a team in certain areas because there's competition or there's big shoes to fill. I think it adds some intrigue to this time of year because it's going to take shape, um, but it's not it's not really going to take shape before our eyes. That's the unfortunate thing. So I, I think we have to put the caveat out there that, you know, when it comes to covering preseason camp in 2022, you, you learn more a lot through your ears than your eyes because we don't get to see a lot. I mean, we will get to see probably one out of every three or four practices. And what we get to see is about the first 20 minutes. Uh, so we don't see the team drills. We don't see live tackling. We don't see, we we'll probably won't even see the offense against the defense in any capacity. We see a lot of stretching. Uh, you see some individual position drills, but I don't know how much you can really learn from that. So you have to rely on your other senses. And mainly that's asking questions and, and listening to the answers of the coaches and the players that you talk to it's it, this is not 2000 or 2010 where you get to go watch every practice and every scrimmage and walk away feeling like you've got your finger on the pulse of the team and and know who's going to play where and how they're going to shape up um so it is still a bit of a mystery after covering a camp um the way that they they do it now um it it, it is it is kind of wild when you step back though and you look at how football is covered at other levels and uh, Another reporter mentioned this to me earlier this week. As NFL training camps open up, you just turn on Twitter. And if you follow enough NFL reporters, you can watch practice live on your phone because they open everything up and you can film everything and you can tweet about everything. And, uh, you know, that's the NFL. But with college football, we, you're lucky if you get to see as much as we get to see. There's other reporters on other beats and other markets that um, don't get to see any preseason practices. So, it's just a different world covering college football. It's all cloak and dagger and everything is, you know, hidden behind the curtain and um, you get to finally see it on September 1st when they kick off for real, but we'll do what we can to tell our stories. Mizzou is going to give us pretty good access to interviews, I think. Uh, so we'll, we'll do okay there and, and make the most of it. But I like when I do my chat every week and when you do yours, we'll get questions like how are, these guys looking in practice well they stretch really well <laughs> well um, i like the way that i like the way that brady cook navigated yes. that uh, lunging that yes. lunging drill before uh, before stretching and he's incredible at jumping jacks i can tell really, you that oh those those jumping jacks were tiger jacks now. is what they call them I believe. right and, and but i gotta tell you you know tyler macon was a little offbeat on the uh on the tiger <laughs> jacks so i think that could that could hurt him like the, the key is not uh, pretending to to see what you don't see right but, yeah yeah hey i'll tell you what you might be able to draw something from is is that first drill they go through what's the order of guys in the line i mean those are the things yeah. that you pick up on by the little glimpses and then you start to do interviews you hear the way coaches talk about guys you hear who they mentioned first i mean you start to kind of piece it together and you know you mentioned being excited a lot of it is that this quarterback situation is as pretty much wide open as it could be right um there were legitimate kind of discussion where would Sam Horn be in MLB draft you know could could he get an offer that was too hard to pass up it, it he's going to be a part of this thing um you know everybody is there and by all accounts there and healthy and you know full full system go of, of who's going to go out and win this thing you've got 
Jack Abraham with the experience. You've got Brady Cook, who's been doing it um, in terms of, you know, leading this team through the offseason and feels like he has earned his shot at it, rightfully so. If you're Tyler Macon, you got to be motivated, kind of being the the odd man out, it sounds like, in the way this thing is talked about. And then here's Sam Horn, who shows up and, you know, he very much, why wouldn't he want to be the guy who proves he can be an SEC starter as a true freshman? So that's part of the fun of this is it's not really handicapped. It's pretty much, hey, go out and win it. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got I've got five questions we need to explore here now about camp. And number one is a quarterback. We, we're not going to break any ground there that should be the number one question but I think maybe at the end of camp we'll come back and revisit these five questions but quarterback situation is number one um, no one will deny that uh, Drinkwitz at SEC Media Days basically said that you know it's a four-man competition between the four guys you just mentioned um, it's impossible to give all four guys the same number of reps with the first team offense you just can't do that you can't learn enough about guys there's not enough time in the day to do that. So he said basically two guys will split time with the ones that that doesn't mean the same two guys all four weeks of camp. Um, they, they could move up and down. And he also said that you can win the job if you're running the threes and you're doing as great a job as anybody's doing, but you're with the threes and you're leading them to touchdowns all the time. So uh, I, I think it's it's safe to say that a guy like Abraham, they brought they didn't bring him in just to ride the bench. I think he probably I wouldn't say he's the favorite, but um, if you had to lay odds, I would say he's the favorite. And then behind him, Brady Cook, he's been in the offense longer than anybody else. Um, you know, Macon has some upside as an athlete. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I give him all the credit in the world for staying with this team. He could have transferred. I mean, um, Cook too. I mean, he could have right, transferred. Right. And then, and then Horn probably has the most upside just because we haven't seen him. We haven't seen him in a college offense. So uh, the potential is is enormous there. Um, but also the inexperience is an enormous factor. He's the only one who hasn't been in a college practice, uh, or at least a real practice preseason type practice. He's never run a college playbook. Jack Abraham's run like seven of them because, because he's, he's so old. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's just how you handicap things right now, but obviously it can change. I'll be interested to see what Bush Hamden has to say this weekend. He's coaching the quarterbacks full time now, but you know, the Drinkwitz is going to have some say in it. So that's that's the number one topic for me. It should be the number one topic for everybody because, like you said, quarterbacks drive the discussion in football. And, you know, no matter who you have at receiver, running back, offensive line, um, you're still only going to go as far as that guy that can touch the ball on every snap and, and has to make all the decisions and, and take on all the pressure and take on all the criticism and do everything that's involved with that that position. You know, I mentioned earlier, um, I think we're going to learn a lot about Drinkwitz this season, and part of that directly relates to this position. And I'm usually a believer in if you have multiple quarterbacks, you don't really have one. But this this setup is fascinating because maybe your most talented quarterback in terms of long-term upside is your youngest and most inexperienced in Sam Horn. Maybe the the guy, well, clearly the guy with the most college experience in Jack Abraham has the least experience with the team, uh, right. with, with the offense. And you've got two guys who have been around, but you've tried to upgrade over who decided to stay, which is rare in college football and cook and making. And I've, I've wondered, you know, I think Eli's message entering camp will and should be, hey, we want someone to win this job and take it. And that's probably how you plan it. But it's to me, it's going to be very interesting. Is there a point this season where maybe one of the younger guys 
starts to you know show more promise and ends up taking reps away from one of the more established guys? Is it knowing who to start with, knowing who's the best for each game, knowing if there's going to be a, a, a tidal wave change at the position, knowing when to make it? Those are all huge coaching things. And yeah. how many times in college football do we see a guy start a season, maybe get hurt, maybe struggles, the, the backup comes in and takes off? And people all of a sudden go from wondering, like, why wasn't that guy starting initially? Um, they're knowing when to make a change, knowing whose stock is coming up and down, maybe knowing which guys, what he brings to an offense is best for each opponent. Like, those are all things that I think if you're Eli Drinkwitz, you're probably thinking about. And I'm just wondering, like, and maybe this is maybe this is crazy. Like, I think we're going to see multi. I wouldn't be surprised if we see at least three quarterbacks make starts this season for this football team. And it's about as wide open as a conversation as we've had entering a Missouri football season for a really long time. Because one of the things Pinkle had was he had the quarterbacks stacked up. Like it was very clear, like who was ready, who was going to be ready. It didn't always go smooth, but there were one or two guys you knew, okay, it's, if not him, then him. And this feels way more up in the air than that. Yeah, and I think part of it's just the nature of the game now. You could transfer, you know, quicker than ever. Um, you know, maybe Connor Bazelak would have stuck around more if he couldn't play right away somewhere else. Um, but he didn't, and he's in Indiana now. And uh, the perfect example of what you're talking about is when uh, a backup can come in and kind of reinvigorate the offense and the program is what Connor did two years ago when he wasn't the starter. Now he, he was going to play some early in the season and he, he did in that Alabama game drink, which his first season. I don't think the plan was necessarily that Sean Robinson was going to be the starter all season long and take every snap. But once Bazelak got the ball, you know, it was his the rest of the year. So yeah, that's obviously the, the number one storyline. Number two might even be one a is Luther burden. Let's uh, he's going to absorb so much, I don't want to say pressure, but expectations, probably unfair, but that's, that's how it works in today's game. You're a five-star receiver. You're the number one player in the country at your position. Uh, you're, you're from a local high school. Uh, you're from St. Louis. Yeah. You're going to get the expectations and it's up to the team. It's up to the coaches and it's up to Luther to fulfill them. And if he doesn't um, you know, it's not fair to say, Hey, this guy's a bust. Uh, it's also, if he has a great game week one against Louisiana tech, you don't hand him the Heisman. So it's going to be interesting to see how they handle him, uh, how he handles the attention, the spotlight, and just to see what he can do on this stage. I mean, the, the little we got to see of him in the spring, he, he looked like, he didn't look like a freshman. Um, and he wasn't a freshman really technically he was still, you know, age wise, a senior in high school. Uh, but he was really impressive. I think he's going to get the ball a lot. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be an all SEC receiver just because we don't, it goes back to number one. We don't know you know, what this quarterback situation is going to be, but if you do have questions at quarterback, I think the next one of the next best things to have is some real impressive playmakers at receiver. And I think this team could have that. This could be a situation where, okay, the quarterback doesn't make the receivers, but maybe the receivers make the quarterback and help that guy out. And it's, it starts with Luther Burton. He's the youngest, but upside, talent-wise, might have more than anybody else. The best case scenario for this team, and I think you've touched on this before, but I'll echo what you, you and I have talked about. The best case scenario for this team is that they get maybe, maybe better than expected results at quarterback, 
but then they also proved true that every other position on the field not named quarterback has improved. Yeah. And if they can combine those two things, and it could be a, a season that folks look back on and say, man, people misread that Missouri football team. Yeah. A big part of that will be what Luther Burden can bring. He is the most electric playmaker added to this offense that wasn't there last season, bar none. Um, he can turn average plays into astonishing ones. He can turn bad plays into manageable ones. Um, it's a big jump, of course, from doing it at, you know, under the underneath the spotlight of very high level high school football. But jumping to the SEC is a different thing. But when you watch this guy play, you knew there were guys who were ready to make an impact at a higher level. And he is one of those players. So getting him touches, getting the ball in his hands where he can create space, make people miss, do Luther burden type things. I, I think that's huge for this offense. I think it's huge for this team. It's also huge for this quarterbacks because the guy that, that can find Luther that can help Luther score touchdowns is going to be helping his case in, right. in that quarterback conversation. So um, that's something to kind of keep an eye on. We've seen it always happens every year where there's a quarterback and a, and a receiver kind of find a certain level. And there are guys who, you know, you can start different guys, but one of them will bring out certain things in a certain receiver and vice versa. The quarterback who can figure that out with burden will be in a better spot on that depth chart likely because of it. So I would let him do a little bit of everything, man. I would try to find creative ways to get the ball in his hands. We know he can return kicks. We know he can return punts. Um, I get it. You don't want to put him in a spot where, it's risky, but he's a natural make guy make guys miss player in that spot. And I would I would try to find ways to let him do it. And uh, it's certainly, you know, I don't think teams will kick the ball to him too many times before they realize that it's probably something they don't want to do. Yeah, absolutely. That's an element to the game. I remember, you know, when Macklin, you know, first started, you know, coming online, it was like, get the guy the ball. And I, I do think Luther Burden can bring that kind of electricity finding ways to bring it out with the right quarterbacks, also finding ways to bring it out in the offense, you know, maybe give them, give them a play where it's a direct snap once in a while. I don't mean run a wildcat with them, but find ways to use this guy and you've got to benefit by getting the ball in his hands. And if nothing else, like the worst thing that can happen this season is that the season ends and Luther Burden feels like he didn't get enough touches. Um, that's one thing that if you're an offense that is recruiting a kid like this and you're saying, come to Mizzou, stick around, you can bloom here. He cannot go into an offseason of his first season feeling like he didn't get used enough. Right, right. With the transfer portal, that has to be a concern, not just with him, but with any player on any team, but especially your five-star guys who come in and expect to contribute right away. And, you know, if he lives if he lives up halfway to his potential as a freshman, that's going to do wonders for guys like Dominic Lovett and Toski Dove and Chance Looper and these other receivers that Missouri has collected and will surround uh, the quarterback with, um, you know, at other positions. So it'll, it'll be really interesting to see how it develops. Uh, let's stick with the offense because I think those were kind of the most, not the most question marks because the defense should be littered with questions, but maybe just as far as position goes, you got to look at what is the, what is the running back plan? Um, you ask Eli Drinkwitz and he'll, he names off seven guys. Like he goes down the depth chart to the freshman walk-ons which tells me he doesn't really know, or at least doesn't want to give the impression that he knows publicly. Uh, he has talked before about having a running back committee. And then 
two years ago, it was all Larry Roundtree all the time and a few carries here and there for Tyler Beatty. Last year, it was all Tyler Beatty all the time and never really got into that committee approach. Uh, so I'll be interested to see this year. I mean, you, you need a guy that, that can command that kind of workload, one, to be able to do it. Uh, and then you need a commitment to either sharing the ball uh, or, or giving it and, and giving it to other guys. So we'll, we'll see if, if that's a possibility. I mean, nobody on this team has ever had a really, really heavy workload in the college game. Nate Pete is an experienced guy, comes from Stanford, where he was their leading rusher last year, but he didn't lead Stanford in, in attempts. So he, he was part of a platoon there. Will he be the best of the bunch in a similar approach this year? Maybe. You got Elijah Young back, who was in and out of the lineup last year. Uh, Michael Cox, who very small sample size, but seems to do a lot with it, did last year. But for whatever reason, the role didn't never really expanded. Um, Cody Schrader is the walk-on from Lutheran South High School, who uh, all he did at Truman State was run for 2,000 yards and, and really caught the attention of Drinkwitz and the staff in the offseason. They got him on board, and they won't stop talking about him. Like, I'm always cautious with the, with the walk-on, uh, Division II transfer especially, but they really seem to like him. And I thought he, I thought he looked the part in the spring, so we'll see if he gets carries. And then – I hate the term X factor because I'm not sure what it really means, but the, the kind of the unknown with, with upside is the four-star freshman Tavares Jones, who uh, had some really impressive offers, picked Missouri, and they, uh, they really seemed pleased with him, even though he wasn't here in the spring. So what we see of him on Monday will be the first time, you know, media sees him in a Missouri uniform. So it's a really interesting situation. I, again, don't see an all SEC running back, in that group, but we didn't last year either. And all Tyler Beatty did was lead the SEC in rushing. So you never really know. I can remember having this exact conversation a year ago and yeah. it was like, is Tyler Beatty physically ready? Can he handle the workload? Um, you know, who, who will kind of form this committee? And then there was no committee. It was just Tyler Beatty and everyone else kind of like, you know, minor appearances, like they were featuring artists on the, uh, on the track, <laughs> if, if anything else. So what does that tell us? Well, I think it would be unrealistic to just expect that to happen again. I mean, what Tyler Beatty did last season was remarkable. It, it could not have been predicted. And even Drinkwitz was present, pleasantly surprised. Right. And, and spoke about that at length. And Tyler Beatty was the one saying, I, I knew I could do this. You guys just didn't know. Well, what does that tell us? A, you don't expect that to happen again. But B, Eli Drinkwitz what we've seen from him, if he finds someone who checks the boxes for him of a featured back, will continue to use that guy. Right. So you can work your way into his good graces and become that guy. So that's what those guys in that room had to have learned from last season is, you know, if you give the coach what he's looking for, he'll use you. And it doesn't matter whether you're projected to be the guy or not. Um, Eli had as many concerns about Tyler Beatty as anybody last season and Tyler Beatty answered them and became the guy that, you know, the coach leaned on more than anybody else. So does that guy emerge? I don't know, but I, what we don't know and what we need to see. And I think is pivotal is you'd really like, if you're going to go committee, you'd really like to have guys who can do different things. Yeah. Having yep. a bunch of guys who can do the same thing, like that keeps it fresh, but you'd really want different skill sets. And that's kind of why Tyler was so, I think the guy they went to so often because he could do a lot of different things and they didn't really have anybody else who could do those things consistently better than he did. Right. Um, so maybe now it's more of a committee because guys have different traits. We don't really know enough 
about some of these guys to know what those strengths are, see what emerges. I will say this. I want to see Michael Cox. And I don't think he needs to be the guy. I don't think he needs to be the starter, but my God, I don't know, Dave. I mean, I don't have his, his, um, you know, his yards per carry average in front of me. All I know is that every time that kid gets the ball, he runs hard in a North South direction and he's going to run over somebody. You might not, you're going to have to, you're going to tackle him eventually. Maybe he's not going to take it to the house. And probably if you put him in the, you know, uh, 50 yard, 40 yard dash against some of the defenders, they'd catch him. But if you put him in a box and tell him to run over one guy before two drag him down, he can do that. And that brings value. I, I don't think they used him enough last season because of all the things Beatty could do very well. He wasn't exactly the guy who was going to drag a pile all that much always. Right. And, and this guy can. So, um, you know, count me down for somebody who will say, Hey, if you've got a hammer, use it. That's a, that's a, that's a valuable tool. Yeah, I, I do know what he averaged because I looked it up while you were talking there. He only had 18 carries in eight games, but he ran for 150 yards. Now, he did have one big long run. I remember that one. But still, 8.3 yards per carry. Hey. That's pretty good. Pretty good. I would I would give him chances to prove that that can't continue, Yeah. Um, if nothing else. And, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know. I have all the information Drinkwitz does, but there's a role. Talk about guys who can find a role. There's a yeah. guy, there's got to be a role for a guy who can get you a first down or close to it every time he touches the football. Right. All right. All right. Let's jump across the line of scrimmage. Um, we could spend a lot of time on the defense. Is They've made some significant changes. We know that third coordinator in three years is Blake Baker, an instant upgrade for this defense. Uh, and not just Baker, but all these reinforcements they've added. They've added a bunch of power five transfers. Um, a whole bunch of defensive linemen who are older and experienced, maybe, you know, weren't all conference players where they came from, but they have played college football at a, at a, at the highest level. Um, will that make a big impact? Um, I, I, whatever Baker does is going to, you know, that's going to resonate just because you're the coordinator, it's your system. You're the one making the adjustments. You're the one picking the depth chart, deciding who starts. Um, so it's, you know, obviously a really pivotal year for that side of the ball, because at some point Drinkwitz has got to get this right. He's got to figure out who his defensive play callers. We know he's not coaching the defense. He may, he'll, he'll have some input. He'll watch them. But when you're calling plays on offense and you're running the show as the CEO of the team, you can't do the nitty gritty on defense. You've got to entrust somebody to do that. And I think Baker, I, I'll give him this. I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt for two reasons. One, Eli knows him. They've worked together before. He's not bringing in a total stranger. And two, he's been a college coordinator. Um, I imagine that's a, a good thing to have on your resume when you're coaching SEC defense, unlike Steve Wilkes a year ago where he came from the NFL and it it took him a, a while to adjust uh, to the college game. So Baker has done it, uh, I think, and I brought this up a bunch, but it's also because he does. His first years as coordinators at two different places, the, the team improved dramatically, the defense improved dramatically from the year before. So that's a good sign if he can do it again. Um, but he is a uh, pressure is going to be on because, you know, third guy in three years, at some point, you know, you got to fix that thing. And uh, we know how bad that defense was the first half of the year. And it, in some ways it couldn't be worse, but they've got to be better. I mean, you don't have a chance in this league, especially with all the questions you have on offense and quarterback, especially you, you've got to make some headway there. Is it possible that the past two include, so Drinkwitz and Barry Odom, between the two of them have made 
two of the most disappointing coordinator hires, one on each side of the football in, in recent program history. I mean, Derek Dooley, who is, I think, still has a lawsuit ongoing against the school about his, his whatever his buyout should be, and, and Wilkes. And Wilkes seemed like a very nice guy, certainly seemed, you know, certainly seemed capable. But then the season starts, Dave, and it's like, he doesn't know if he's going to coach from the booth. He doesn't know if he's going to go down to the sideline. He's pulling out. He's pulling out. You know, defenses they've never they've never tried before, and then immediately saying he should have never done that. <laughs> it was like, yeah. holy smokes! It kind of felt like there were times when it's like, you know, they have like the honorary coaches at games on the sideline who they like they give them a whistle and let them let them hang out. It's like almost like one of those people got told, okay, you're 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 managing this defense now. And no it was kidding. like, whoa, like he was in over his head and it seemed to kind of get better as time went along, but this really isn't a figure it out as you go along position. And it's not just Wilkes. It seems like some of these NFL guys who jump back to college these days are almost kind of overwhelmed. And that kind of speaks to how much college football has changed. But I remember at SEC media days last year, and I think it was Cole Kubelik who was talking and he kind of said, you know, be, be careful assuming that someone's going to come back from the NFL and and fit immediately back into college football because it's yeah. not as easy as a lot of people make it seem. And I think Wilkes was a, a case of that. Blake Baker, if you ask around, and I know that you have, but he is viewed in the industry as a, a guy who's going places, an up-and-coming defensive mind in college football. And I think it has a chance to be – pretty good hire from Drinkwitz. Now that means you got to keep him. If he comes in and fixes your defense, then you got to figure out how to not let him get poached. But that's a good problem to have. You want coaches who are wanted and it's time to find out if this guy can be that guy from Mizzou. Yeah, absolutely. And and on the player side of things, they have really now I don't know if they're upgrades, but they they really have changed the look of their personnel uh with a lot of portal additions. Uh, just on the defensive line alone, you got Jaden Jernigan from Oklahoma State a tackle. Tyrone Hopper, uh, defensive end from North Carolina. He is big hop. We, we learned at SEC Media Days. Tyrone is big hop. Tyron is little hop. Got it. Um, Tyrone's older, older cousin. Tyron's a linebacker from Florida. He's little hop. So um, we've got that down now. Uh, they bring in uh, who else? They've got Ian Matthews is a big defensive tackle from Auburn. Didn't play last year as a true freshman, but um, a guy they, they really like. Uh, you've got DJ Coleman, who is a, a defensive end from Jacksonville State, uh, not Power Five, but an older guy. That's a that's a program that is been in the college program. Yeah, I wouldn't overlook Jackson State these days. Yeah. they've got going on. Josh Landry, another D tackle from Baylor. Uh, so you add him to the mix. Christian Williams was a late addition, uh, another D tackle. He's from Oregon. So you've got all these big bodies, and you add them to guys like Darius Robinson. And then on the edge, you got Trajan Jeffcoat and and uh, Isaiah McGuire. So I think you've got the pieces for a pretty intriguing uh, defensive front, and we'll see how they play behind. We got a lot of experience at safety. Um, you got some good corners. Chris Abrams, drain breakthrough player last year. I think he can. I think there's more you can get out of him. And it's Rake Straw's coming off the injury. Got Hopper, as we mentioned, Little Hop at linebacker, Chad Bailey, Devin Nicholson. So it's an intriguing defense because you've got all these new pieces and you, you expect them to be hungry after, you know, how poorly they started last year. And and 
you know, the biggest change obviously is a new coordinator and with a bunch of new staffers too. So it's completely different. Look, I don't think the scheme is going to be that much different. Um, but that side of the ball is going to, you know, tell us a lot about how good this team can be, what its ceiling is. Yeah. I will take a cautiously optimistic stance about the defense because here's why all those transfers you just rattled off, Dave, look at the programs they are coming from Baylor, Oklahoma state, Florida, Auburn, Oregon, um, tend to have pretty good football teams. Last year, where was Missouri leaning on in its transfers? Um, so a couple defensive backs from Tulsa and a linebacker from Rice. Um, now, a player is a player. It doesn't matter where he comes from. And not always, uh, you know, transfer up guys sometimes are huge successes. But it sure seems like the transfer recruiting on the defensive side this season compared to last and guys who have not played for this defense before, it's from a, a, a better talent pool. And yeah. the hope should be that they're more talented players. They've played in these games. They've been a part of these programs. They understand, you know, what competitive power five expectations are and, you know, elite conference expectations are. And they were those kind of players to be recruited to those programs. So good players, it doesn't always work out for them at their initial stop. They can play high level football here with maybe more of an opportunity, fresh start that, that could bode well, of course, it's got to all come together, but you feel better about leaning on guys from Oregon, Auburn, Oklahoma State on paper than you do guys from, from Tulsa and Rice. So, you know, the defense, especially early, is going to probably have to kind of be the backbone of this team. It's going to be figuring itself out at quarterback. It's got to get Luther Burden going at the SEC level. We just mentioned the questions at, at running back. If the defense could – they got to have both, but if the defense could be solid early, that would that would really help this team kind of be able to figure out what it's going to look like, and you know certainly avoid the chaos of last season where it was, and it was what the third second week of the season, and we were legitimately asking Drinkwitz if he was going to have to fire his defensive coordinator he had just hired. If they can avoid those kind of conversations, that would be a lot better. Yeah. Yep. I failed to mention Joseph Charleston's safety from Clemson. I hear they have a pretty good program too. So another guy that kind of adds to your argument that, you know, when you're getting transfers from established, you know, proven powerful programs, that's, that's a good sign. Even if they weren't, you know, all ACC or all big 12 players, they kind of know how a, a, a competitive championship caliber program looks and sounds like and feels like. And I, I think that can, as long as those guys are positive additions to your, your locker room, that that experience, just where they come from can be really valuable. I, um, I think we, you know, I've touched on this before, like there's not a metric for it, but there should be ESPN on three. One of these sites should come up with it of like a coach's plus or minus in the transfer portal. Yeah. And that ranking, wherever Eli falls on that scale is going to be important this year because he lost a quarterback who had experience. We'll see what Connor does at Indiana. We know about, you know, the, the kid from the kid who went to LSU from St. Louis, yeah, I mean, they, Wingo, yeah. he's got some 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 notable uh, defections, but I don't know that that people are maybe obviously the recruiting fans are are in on these transfers, but I don't know that enough has been maybe made about some of the guys he's brought in on the transfer. We so much of the focus on Eli has been on his high school recruiting. Right, he might have if he can get some 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 star power here in these transfers, these Power Five transfers. If he can be a plus on that transfer scale bringing in more transfer talent than you're losing, then that could, uh, you know, I think we're kind of talking about what things have to break in Missouri's direction for that 
preseason pick of SEC East sixth place to look outdated. And that would be one of those things that could help. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Okay. Last on my list, kind of an overarching big picture. What What's the identity of this team? Um, Man. And you define that by what are your strengths that you can lean on? You get tight. Uh, you get in a tight game in the fourth quarter on the road. Who are you? Who are, who do you become? Who do you lean on? Uh, what do you lean on to go out and win the game? Uh, we, we saw his first team uh, could be kind of ball control with Larry Roundtree, Connor Bazelak not making mistakes, the defense doing just enough to, to be a 500 team in SEC play. And I think everybody came out of that season, other than a couple of games at the end, felt pretty good about the direction of the program. And then last year, I think they kind of just lost their way. The quarterback situation, the injury to Basilak. Um, Beatty was great, but he, he, he was not as big of a factor against the best teams on their schedule. And then obviously the defense was a mess. So what, what is the identity of this team? Eli's talked a little bit about kind of cutting it loose and being more aggressive on offense with the quarterback play. I think it's easier to do that when you have really dynamic playmakers at receiver and running back, uh, and you're not having to count on that quarterback to save you every down, every possession. So it'll be interesting to see just what what, what play calling looks like, uh, decision making. Um, you know that one and one guy we haven't talked about who pound for pound, and I mean that literally, is the best player on this team is their kicker Harrison Mevis, who if you've seen him lately, and I saw a photo of him lately. He could be a guy we're talking about playing some D tackle this year. I mean, he is as he is uh, large and in charge, not in a bad way. He's just a big bodied guy. We know that the thicker kicker. Um, how does his presence impact play calling? And can you were they maybe conservative to a fault with him in the past because you knew you always had three points in the back of your pocket? Well, what if you push the envelope a little bit more and try to be more aggressive and more dynamic with guys like uh, Burden and and Looper and Dove and Mookie Cooper, Dominic Lovett, and not just rely on that that field goal that you know you have in the bag. So that's part of that will take shape in camp. And then when the lights come on for real, September 1st. I mean, the, the identity that strikes me, um, and this is if things go well, is a team, a coach, an offense, a quarterback, an emerging program. Yeah. One that is on the right path. I think Missouri – realistically will need to be a team that that is more dangerous more complete has an identity at the end of the season compared to what it has at the beginning and I've said this before to me year four with Eli is going to is going to be the one that okay can can he get this thing up to a level where Missouri can be a, a team that is that is on people's minds in the SEC East and maybe signs that that they could be moving in that direction this year. I'm not going to go crazy about this season. I think he got himself in a tight spot with the Basilac transfer and he didn't have his quarterback ducks in a row. And you have to have it. I think the recruiting that he's done um, after this class is encouraging because I think, I mean, clearly he knows this and you look right. at what he's doing in, in high school recruiting of quarterback position. It's encouraging. Sam Horn is encouraging. So I'm not going to go bananas about it, but that was something that is now looks to be in good shape. So can this season be enough signs to the transfers that he's brought come online to the, 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 does that high level high school recruiting start to flash 
in a Luther burden? Does this offense start to show that creativity more that, that he promised to bring? Does his defensive coordinator hire work? I mean, all of these questions, if they're answered, if, if most of them are answered in a positive fashion, then Missouri starts to look like a team that is going places. And that to me is, is the identity. It's a, it's a prove it type of season, not prove it or bust or hot right. seat. Great. It's, it's, it's if this thing doesn't start to take shape halfway at, at the halfway point of this year, then what what proof is there that that year four is going to be, you know, where year four needs to be in an SEC hire? Eli is kind of he's in that middle zone, man. Um, he has outlasted coaches in the SEC, but he's also got four of his wins against four of his conference wins are against guys who've been fired, and that's how it is in this league. You either you either you either kill or get killed. And right now he's he's not Sam Pittman because Sam Pittman had a huge season last season. You know, he's you look at what Lane Kiffin had last season, 10 wins. So he's in that class. There's this all these guys who've been hired after him, Shane Beamer, um, you know, Josh Heifel, Brian Harson. He's kind of in that stage where you're either going to be a guy who starts to show why you're going to stick around or you're going to be one of these other guys who's in and out of this conference. And, you know, it's like, don't let the door hit you. So. I don't think he's it's not a hot seat type of situation, but it's a season where people that excitement that he's built in recruiting, it has to start now transferring over to the team. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I think this team, November, December, by then we have to be talking about Missouri as a program on the upswing, making tangible progress. Otherwise, the recruiting is going to become a lot harder because now you have a track record. You have a three-year track record that people can analyze and not just focus on all the promise and all and the vision because you can come back and say, okay, well, you're saying all these great things about where this program is going to be. You've got a three-year body of work now. Like that, that has to stand up too. And I thought it was really interesting. His most, I give him credit, his most candid answer comment. I thought at SEC media days, I asked him about some of the recruiting misses they've had in state lately and he, he flat out said, this is harder than I thought it would be. He, he, I think he saw the Luther Burden pickup. You get Tyler Macon the year before. You get these four-star guys around the state. And he kind of thought that it would just keep going. And it, it, and it hasn't. Now, a day later, they get the commitment from Josh Manning, four-star receiver from Lee Summit. So he's still got it. You know, he hasn't lost it yet. But the competition is fierce in this state, and especially in St. Louis. And that's only going to get harder for you for Missouri if you struggle this year. Um, so what, the solution, it's not just go out and win. It's show that your program is making progress on the field. And boy, there's no better way to do that than to steal one of those um, road games early at Kansas state or Auburn. And you know, you're not going to, you don't get a trophy for winning either of those games, but it could be kind of a statement. Hey, we went on the road, beat a, a quality big 12 team, uh, went out and beat Auburn. I know Auburn's picked seventh in the West, but um, that it's still Auburn. You know, they've, they've won SEC championships. They've beaten Alabama. Um, it's still, that would be a, a really solid win for this program. So that's what you got to do this year. You've got to show some tangible results or it just makes the job much harder in year four, like you said. I think uh, I like Eli's approach at SEC Media Days this year. I, I had a blast last year covering all of his quips and his zingers, and he really made waves, and people either loved it or hated it. And he was the entertainer. And, and there was, look, I mean, let's be very clear. There was a need for that. Yeah, there was a need for some sizzle. But this season, it needs to be looked back on as one that provided substance. Yep. 
And I think Eli is the first to say that. I mean, he, yeah. he he's more toned down now for a reason. So maybe that's the, maybe emerging is, is one way sub, sub, substantial is the next. Um, it doesn't have to be a, the kind of season that, you know, books get written about, but if books right. are, if books are going to be written about this, 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 uh, this Eli Drinkwitz era, then it has to be a prelude. I think that's fair. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, so those are, I think those are five really important ways to kind of basic storylines to look at this camp. And we're not going to have all the answers uh, by September 1st. It's all about the games and football and not just the practices. But I, I think those are things to kind of keep in mind as camp's going on and um, just to figure things out on what who this team is. I want one, give me one guy who you think is not being talked about enough entering camp that will be talked about quite a bit by the time it's over. Oh, that's good. Um, Dominic love it. Like I didn't see much from him last year on the field. He just, they they gave him some opportunities and it it just wasn't clicking. He wasn't getting any yards after the catch. And then they just went away from him for a long time. And I think a lot of it had to do with the quarterback, the erratic situation at quarterback. But the spring, they moved him inside to the slot where, you know, Barrett Bannister plays. And Barrett Bannister gives you a lot of things. I think he's an important part of this team. I, I'm guessing, betting he will be named a captain. Uh, he doesn't drop any passes. He gets first downs. He's very reliable. But Dominic Lovett has another gear to him. And we saw him in the spring make some big-time plays and become a weapon. So uh, I, I think he's got a lot to prove. You know, I, I mean, he's, I'm, I'm sure he's friends with Luther, you know, these St. Louis guys all know each other growing up, but he also doesn't want to be known as the other receiver from St. Louis. You know, I'm sure there's some competitive fire there with him that wants to go out and say, Hey, everybody's talking about Luther, but you know, don't forget about me. I was a four-star guy out of East St. Louis. I can do some good things too. So he's a guy I'm going to watch closely in camp and early in the season. Eli, if you're listening, give Michael Cox some carries. I'm sure, I'm sure drink is listening to this thing. I know that his boss does. <laughs> Hey, Desiree, uh, put in a good word for Michael Cox. <laughs> what we need Desiree to do, and I'm going to say. Come on the podcast. Public, well, yeah, that, that a number one. Bruce Springsteen tickets went on sale for Kansas City. Oh, boy. Today, the day we record this. They're very hard to get. It's a big story nationally. This, isn't, secured, this isn't Vahe Gregorian podcast. No, it's Dave Matt. No, I secured my tickets in Kansas City. It's in February. No, so Vahe will be there. The problem is. There's no show in St. Louis, which is frustrating. The problem is it's a Saturday in February, which means there's going to be a Missouri basketball game that day. I need to lobby Desiree, who is a diehard Bruce fan also, to lobby the SEC to make that a day game so I don't have any conflicts, so I can be in Kansas City in the evening to watch what may be E Street Band's last tour. So we're going to make that happen. Well, they'll just give Mizzou another 11 a.m. kickoff, and they'll be able to, to make it work. They'll That's just fine for basketball, tip ball. Yes, I'm yeah. all for it. Let's do it this time. Or maybe like a bye week. That'd be no, I'm saying they'll give the that. football team another 11 a.m. kickoff, and then fine with me. That can be the that can be the trade offer. How come? How come Bruce Springsteen isn't playing Mizzou Arena? I think that I I talked to Desiree about that. Needed to make that happen. It didn't happen. It's a little smaller market. I, I get that. Um, so yeah, I, I was not happy to see the list come out and not the five see year the five year plan. I mean, Columbia is good enough for the Rolling Stones back in nineteen ninety. I'm saying, man, come on, come yeah. on, Bruce, make it happen. All right, well, I think we touched everything here. Um, I'm excited for the coverage from 
camp. You're going to be there. I think Benjamin Hockman's going to be joining you for media day coming. So keep it locked at stlsa.com for all of your Mizzou coverage as we ramp it up. And Dave and I, we've been on, we've been a little spotty on the podcast. So apologies for that. But um, we are going to do this weekly starting now through the football season. So make sure that you're checking out um, wherever you get your podcast. It'll be updated there and uh, let us know how it sounds and how it, how it, uh, how it plays. Some of them probably won't be this long, but we had a lot to get into. So hope you're enjoying it. Let us know if you are and uh, look forward to a new one next week and every week moving forward.